You ever just want to jump for joy like that? I'm not allowed to jump yet. I have to wait till August. I have my checkup for my hip surgery. It's no impact for a year. So my goal is that, you know, September 1, I'll be able to jump like that. Maybe not quite that high. But we are in a series about joy, the secrets of joy to be exact. And this morning, I want to share with you another secret of joy. Today, I'm going to share with you what we're going to focus on is what I like to call a mother's joy. Okay? Some of you have yet to experience that uh, because you're not old enough and you're not married, you don't have kids. But every woman at some point, if they do things according to what God has called them to do, will have the opportunity to share in a mother's joy. Now, you may be thinking, well, some women don't get married. That's okay. They still have an opportunity to share what I like to call a mother's joy. And we'll see that by the time we get to the end of this message. But as I start off, I need to first tell you a couple of stories. Because I know you love stories, and who doesn't love a good story? The first story I want to share with you is about a boy, and he was about sixth grade. And this boy grew up kind of a rougher part of town, uh, on the other side of the tracks, if you will. Uh, A trailer park, to be exact. Uh, Not a real nice trailer park. And this young man, like I said, he was about sixth grade. Just by chance, he ran into another young man who was the same age as him. And they kind of hit it off. They decided they were going to be buddies. And they started to hang out a little bit. And this new friend, come to find out, actually was from the other side of the tracks, the good side of the tracks, as as it were. Uh, His family owned a very successful small business. They had a a nice house that had just been built. It had a swimming pool. There were a lot of good things going for this other young man. And so these two kids, from total different sections of the world, if you will, run into each other and become friends. One day, the friend from the good side of the track says to his buddy, Hey, won't you come over to my house? Okay. So the kid goes with his buddy to the house. And this house is, it's huge. It was like a house this kid had never seen before. It was actually uh, built on stilts and had a big carport underneath, had, had a game room on the bottom with a pool table, and, and like I said, had a, a big swimming pool in the backyard and, and just a nice, really big house. And this kid from the other side of the tracks was just like, wow, do you see this? And he's like, yeah, I live here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see it. And he just didn't know what to expect. And so you've got these, these two junior high boys, and, and one of them's kind of grubby, and the other one's kind of upkept, if you will. And the family, this, this, this grubby kid shows up for dinner with this sixth grade boy with their son. And you know what the mother said? What do you think you guys are doing? What do you think you're doing sitting at my table? And the one boy looked at his friend who had invited him over for dinner, and his friend leaned over and said, we're supposed to go wash our hands. See, it's not what you were thinking. You, shame on you guys. This mother exhibited a little bit of mother's joy right there. She says to this boy, she could have said anything, and she said, hey, you guys go wash your hands. Nobody sits at this table without washing their hands. And so they go, they scrub up, and they wash their hands. And then they have this meal, and it was a great meal. And the neat thing about this meal is that meal turned into other meals. And this friendship grew not just between the two boys, but between the boy's family and this kid from the other side of the tracks. And from sixth grade through high school graduation, this, this family just accepted this, this grubby kid. And he grew up with them, so to speak. He, um, at, he sat at their table for not just one meal, but he sat there for like special meals, birthdays and holidays and things like that. He, he saw 
things in this family that he didn't see in his own family. And, and they just accepted him. And, and a mother's joy was shared through her family with another kid who really didn't belong. And, and in any normal world would never really partner up that way. So that's my first story. We'll come back to that in a second. My next story is about another young man. This young man is a little bit older than the first young man. This guy is a, is a young, prominent uh, person in society, if you will. He, he had somewhat of a position, and, and he was a young man, probably in his early 20s or mid-20s, early 30s, ruggedly handsome at this point in his life, I would like to assume. No, I'm not talking about me, just because I know some of you are thinking, this has got to be a true story about John. All right, especially when I said the ruggedly handsome part. Now, this young man's name was Saul. He was a Pharisee. He was a very prominent Pharisee. He, he learned. He was a learned Pharisee. All right, there were, there were two schools of, of Pharisaical teaching, um, and it was Hillel and Gamaliel, and you can look those up later, but he, he learned under one of these schools, and, and he was known to be good at his, at what he, his uh, I was going to say his major, but they really didn't have majors back then, but he... He was a known Pharisee, and he was so good at being a Pharisee, he actually had permission to go and put Christians in jail and to persecute Christians who were worshiping Jesus Christ. And Saul is, is heading to a place to do that, and God speaks to him and says, Saul, and he blinds him, bright light. He's on the road, his friends are with him, and God says, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul says, Lord? Yeah. And he blinds him. And then he tells him, go to the city, see the high priest, and your, your eyes will be cleansed and you'll know what to do. He actually says, you will be my instrument. And you can look at that a couple different ways. A surgeon uses instruments. They use scalpels and, and things like that to, to cut and to open up and to, to divide. Um, so, so he says, you're going to be my instrument. Some of you are thinking, well, it's a musical instrument. It makes a joyful noise, you know. And in a sense... Saul became Paul, who became an instrument of, of voice for the Lord, if you will. And so we had this kid that grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. And then we have Saul, who, who was a Pharisee, but then becomes, like, really, some would say the father of Christianity, but that's Jesus. So don't, don't mess this up. But, but Saul, Paul becomes a prominent person in the church as it is today. And it all starts on that road, on that trip. But before we go any farther, I want to pause, I want to pray, and then we're going to look into Romans chapter 16, and we're going to put all this together. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for uh, people like Paul, who when coming face to face with you, were, were willing to change everything about them, uh, everything about themselves, so that they could be a better reflection of you. Uh, Lord, as we look at a mother's joy today, if we look into your word, I pray that we'll be challenged and we will be changed by what your word says. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 16. This is the only scripture that we'll read from today. But I want to encourage you this week to go through and read through the book of Acts because a lot of what I'm going to tell you today comes from probably the first 12 to 14 chapters in the book of Acts. So I want you to look through that and, and really get into understanding where this is all coming from. And here's what, here's what Paul says in a letter to the church in Rome, to the Christian church in Rome. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sincre. 
I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Verse 6, greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who worked hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Are you seeing this pattern begin to develop here? Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me. He goes on, he says, Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Now, there are some people who will read that and just simply dismiss the last chapter in the book of Romans as being just a catalog of names. Truth be told, when most of us are reading the Bible and we get to a list of names, genealogies, kings, and things like that, what do we do? Be honest, what do you do? You skip over. Oh, all those names I can't pronounce. We just move along. But something caught my attention when reading through Paul's final greeting to the church in Rome. This was a church that had, had gone through some different things. And he, he makes this final greeting, which was customary, uh, and, and he, he's listing mostly women in this greeting. And, he, and he's, he's uh, commending these women for the things that they have done, their service to the Lord, the way they've, they've partnered with him in the gospel. Uh, I counted them. There's 26 personalities that are listed here. Some are men, some are women. Some of them are named. Some of them are just named with their relatives. And, and some are just nameless in the case of Rufus's mother. Which is funny because until Dylan was born, Mitzi and I had names. But then as your kids go to school, and they go to preschool, and then they go to school, and they play on sports, or they're in the band, or they do different things, who do you become? Oh, it's Dylan's dad. Hey, Dylan's mom. (laughs) You you know this. When your kid shows up and you're behind them, they go, hey, Dylan. Hey, Dylan's dad. I don't have a name anymore. It's okay. It's, It's designed that way, I guess. And right here in chapter 16 of Romans, Paul says something about the mother of Rufus. Most of the people listed here, we know very little about them. I can assume that they had their joys, <coughs> excuse me, they had sorrows, burdens, cares, hopes, dreams, disappointments, trials, triumphs. We can assume this because we all drink from the same cup of human experience. So we can, it's safe to assume they're just normal people like us. But what's impressive to me is the fact that all the names Paul mentions... First off, he calls them friends. 
partners in what they were doing. And when we read this, it's a personal chapter here. And we see that these people are all followers of Jesus as well. In some way, they either served Paul or served with Paul to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And now they're receiving his gratitude, his greetings, his salutations. And this is kind of a big deal. A few of them may have been near relatives of his. Uh, Handley G. Moles comments on the chapter and says this. He says, We watch this unknown yet well-beloved company with a sense of fellowship and expectation that is impossible out of Christ. You see, especially in this time historically, women didn't do a lot of things outside of the home, outside of providing certain things. And here Paul is saying, look, these women have, have partnered. They have done amazing things. And this page is no mere relic of the past. It's a list of friendship. And, and it, it's something that we should, we should continue to see and continue to take note from. There's a, there's a union, if you will, of personalities because of Christ. And, and it's going to continue beyond even our little bit of thought today. But the question remains for me, who was Rufus's mother? Have you guys ever thought about that when you're reading through Scripture? Have you ever said, well, just, who was that person with no name? Rufus's mother. It doesn't say if Rufus played on the soccer team or not. So how does he just end up being Rufus's mom? So I started looking into it. And the first thing I want you to see is how Rufus's whole family comes into, the, into this picture. Not just in Paul's life, but in the start of the church. I'm going to start off, I want to share with you about Rufus's father. His name was Simon. I'll say it again. His name was Simon. Have you ever heard the name Simon in the Bible before? Yes. But before you think about the wrong Simon, I want to reel you in and help you out with with who this is. You'll recognize this name because the man that carried the cross of Jesus on the way to Calvary, what was his name? Where was he from? Cyrene. You see, Simon originally was from the country of Libya, the city of Cyrene. That area today is called Tripoli, okay? In North Africa, by the way. It seems Simon had immigrated to Palestine. He and his family are living in Jerusalem. And they were there for a number, and this is what Acts chapter 6 says, for there were a number of Cyrenian Jews living there. Simon was present in Jerusalem for the Passover when Jesus was crucified. Okay? According to the early church tradition, this is the same Simon that carried the cross of Jesus. So it's at Simon's house... And we go back to the story about Saul being converted and where he goes. It's at Simon's house that Paul, Saul now Paul, finds refuge when he's brought to Antioch from Tarsus. You see, now because I have an overactive imagination, I like to think about things like this. And I think, you know what? And it's just me. This is me thinking. This is not in Scripture. I like to think that Rufus, who is is now being mentioned as, as one in Christ with Paul, I like to think that he was maybe a young boy on that day. He saw his father shoulder the cross of Christ. He watched his dad carry the Savior's cross to Calvary. He witnessed the death of Jesus on that cross. And from then on, he became a follower of Jesus. Paul writes in Romans 16, 13, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me. In the New Living Translation, he says, Greet Rufus for me, whom the Lord picked out to be his very own, and also his dear mother, who has been such a mother to me. Now, in order to truly appreciate what's being said here, we need to understand that when Paul wrote these words, nearly 30 years had passed since his conversion to Christ. That's a long time. And 30 years after Paul, he had traveled to different parts of Europe. He's been all over the place. And now he's heading back to Jerusalem with an offering of the Gentiles to attend the Feast of Pentecost. 
and he has this memory for his old friends. And as he writes his letter to Rome, to the, to the church in Rome, he remembers some of these people. And they're living there in Rome now. And he mentions these people in his letter to Rome, to the church in Rome. And he mentions Rufus and his mother. Thirty years later, he finds it worth mentioning the love that Rufus's mother had for him in a letter to encourage the church of Rome to do things differently. Now, going back to the time of Paul's conversion to Christianity in Damascus, the Bible tells us that, that Paul suffered persecution and he barely escaped with his life. He went on to Jerusalem and after a cautious acceptance by the church, he began to fearlessly proclaim, proclaim Jesus as his Savior. Paul was once Saul. Brought up, he says later in Scripture, he was brought up as a Pharisee of Pharisees. So what does that mean Paul's parents were? Jewish. <laughs> Dad was probably somewhere in the temple. Think about that. More than likely, if you become a Pharisee of Pharisees, it's because you're brought up in what would be known as a proper Jewish home. Your, your parents were probably antagonistic to the claims of Christ when he appears as the Messiah. And again, I have this overactive imagination. I tend to think that as Paul went from being Saul of Tarsus to Paul, who is a reflection of Christ, that just this sword pierces the heart of his parents. This, this separation has to happen. Their well-educated son had forsaken the Jewish religion to become a Christian. Scripture early on, Paul says he was a follower of the way. He went from being Pharisee of Pharisees to following Jesus. That's a huge split in a family. Now I'm sure Paul loved his mother. No matter what she may have thought about his conversion, I, I like to think there's a, there's a part of Paul that loved and respected his mother and that, that my mom used to say, there's nothing you can do to make me not love you. And I would like to think that's the case here. But I know historically, and even with other religions, when, when people break free, there's usually this, you're no longer my son thing. So I still think, no matter what his parents thought of him, I think Paul still respected his mother, still loved her, but he realized what he was called to do. But in this greeting, regardless of what happened with Paul and his family, in this final greeting in Romans 16, he takes the opportunity to simply say that Rufus's mother had been so kind to him on different occasions mothering him in days of, of strain and pain. And, and here she is remembered 30 years later for this loving attention and direction that's given to Paul by this woman. And, and Paul's got a lot of friends here in this, in this list. Like I said, there was, there was over 20 people that he mentions, but he still longs for the memory of Rufus and his mother. You see, Rufus's family, like I said, they were among the first people to welcome Paul when he was brought to Antioch. And here he's brought into their home. And in their home, this nameless mother who could have said anything, because at that time, in that early time of Paul's transition, going from Pharisee to Christian, what were most of the Christians saying to Paul? Oh, <laughs> you're just, you're tricking us. <laughs> you just want to get close so you can put me in jail. I'm not buying this. You're, you're, we know who you are. And here, Rufus's mother I like to think as Paul comes in to sit at the table, she says, what are you doing at my table? You go wash your hands. Oh yeah, go wash your hands so we can eat. She mothers Paul. 
And in this time frame, she is serving Paul. He is finding who he's supposed to be. He finds his voice, if you will. I guarantee you that if you would have told Saul as a young Pharisee, hey Saul, one day a Christian woman is going to bring you in her home and love on you and feed you and care for you and love you like her own, he would have probably arrested you. That's not happening on my watch. I'm a Pharisee. They're wrong. Isn't it great to see how God works through so many people in so many ways to see to it that his gospel message would be shared? He sends this broken, dejected, unloved Pharisee of Pharisees who all of a sudden has no one on his side. You know, after, after he is blinded and goes to see the priest, Scripture doesn't say anything about the people who were traveling with him. Makes me wonder what happened with those guys. Paul gets his first reflection of Christ from a woman. The first reflection of the Christ that he is supposed to serve. He gets this from Rufus's mom. And he never forgot that blessing. That big heart, that soft voice, that kindly face. I'm sure there were many nights where he and Rufus sat down and talked and, you know, maybe the, talking about the, the discussing the promises of God and what, what they're here to do. And, and around them is Rufus's mother. Just her presence, her influence, her encouragement. I like to think that Rufus's mother is is kind of like the woman described in Proverbs 31. Strong, but providing for her family, doing what's needed. She was known for serving Jesus in the daily round and the common task, even though her name is never mentioned. I think her story is worth hearing. I think, I think men and women alike can glean encouragement from the story of Rufus's, Rufus's mother. We read in our Bible that Rufus and his mother were well known to the church. What a record this family has created for itself just by being faithful to God. His father carried Jesus' cross. The mother proved her devotion to Jesus by ministering to his apostle in his time of need. Who knows what the world and in particular the church owes to this mother. When every door was shut to Paul, it was the mother of Rufus who opened her door, who opened her arms and ministered to his needs. She cared and loved him as only a mother can. At this time, I want to show you a video of how kids see their moms, and I think it may give us a glimpse of how Paul might have seen Rufus's mother from time to time. Go ahead and play that. What makes your mom happy? Flowers. When I'm listening. Want to be good or something? A hug. Oh no, I'm not too excited. What makes your mom sad? When I don't listen, when we get hurt. What's something that your mom does every day? Read the Bible, cleans the house, I think work, kisses me. What's something your mom always says to you? I love you, you brush my teeth, go clean your room, behave, don't let the dog upstairs, do not bother mom while she's sleeping. How old is your mom? I think five. Well, that's a very, very tricky question. <laughs> I know she's a half and something. <laughs> Seven. What's your mom's favorite thing to do? Play with me. Sit in that chair. Date night. <laughs> Shop, shopping. Go shopping. It's just shopping every day. She always wants to go shopping. She and I get tired. Yeah, that's that boring. <laughs> Where's your mom's favorite place to go? Chinese restaurant. Animal shelter. 
How are you and your mom the same? Our hair. Our eyes. We have the same bones. We're really flexible. We both have long tongues, but my sister and my dad don't. How are you and your mom different? Our eyes are different. The I like her face, her smile, when she lets me put on her makeup, that I can cuddle with her at night. She is really special. She's really, 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 really nice. How do you know that your mom loves you? She prays and she kisses me and she says I love you. Well, she's in my family. How she takes care of us. By making breakfast in my laundry. That she helps me get dressed. Takes me to all the things I do after school. That she plays games with me. Play soccer with me. Play bubbles. Learn us in her lab. We watch movies. We get our nails painted. Make a scrapbook. Fish. Outside cookouts and bonfires. She spends time with us and not all by herself. She's patient. With us. She does everything with me because she says it every day. Kisses me every night. All kinds of stuff. I just know that she loves me because she says, I'll always love you. She's awesome. She loves me no matter what. Like God. I love you, Mommy. Happy Mother's Day. She loves me no matter what. Like God. Now, Paul maybe didn't think all those things about Rufus's mother, okay? But he knew that she loved him no matter what. You see, Rufus's mother, she preached the gospel to Paul just by the deeds that she did in her daily life, by the way that she walked and worked, and the people who were around her saw this, by the way that she served, by the way that she cared. And you may ask, well, what was her reward? Oh, for starters, her boys grew up to be men who loved and followed Jesus. We find that Rufus and his mother are serving and in fellowship with a church in Rome 30 years later. I don't know how old Rufus was when this started. I don't know how old he is when 30 years later, but this is the fruit of that love. That's where a mother's joy comes in. You see, on this Mother's Day, I want to encourage all the women who hear this message, don't mourn or lament what you may think is a lack of opportunity to serve God in your home or your community. Or even if you think, well, I'm not married or I don't have kids, there's still plenty of kids who need a mother's love. There's still plenty of kids who will show you a mother's joy, even if they don't belong to you. You may never know whose life you will touch or what the future holds for the dirty junior high boy that may show up at your door. I got to tell you, I love my mom, but there were times in my life where I wasn't always around her. I have to take note of the women who were there to encourage me and challenge me. I was the junior high boy at the beginning of my story. And to finish that story is about a lady named Belle Kaplan. Her son's name was Scott Kaplan. And Scott brought me to his house, and as we came riding up on our little dirt bike, little three-wheelers, 
And I was like, dude, that's your house? He's like, yeah. And I even said to him, I don't think I belong here. He was like, no, come on, it's fine. From junior high to high school, his mom taught me things like wash your hands, (laughs) wash your face. She polished me for things like manners. She explained things to me that they did as a family. But in that house, no matter what was going on in my life, I always had a place to sleep. I always had a meal to eat. I always had an example. Belle Kaplan was just as much a mother to me as my own mom. Sue Kelly is another lady that was in my life And Sue Kelly had an interesting story. She was not able to have children. They tried when they first got married. She had several miscarriages. She was not ever able to have children. So instead, she started buying lions and tigers and things like that. And as I went to work with Sue Kelly, her and her husband Jerry basically adopted me in my early 20s. And I had a a room in their house. (laughs) Got to add brothers and sisters. I was like Mowgli. I had lions and tigers for brothers and sisters. And we'd go places and Sue would always say... Yeah, we, we couldn't have one, but we found him. That's what she would say to people. She treated me like her son. Rosabel Haven had children and grandchildren and even great-grandchildren. And she opened her arms and she opened her life to me. She's one of the reasons that I do what I do today. Teresa Grant. I married her prettiest daughter. She was stuck with me either way. But she too has chosen to love me. So when you look back, when I look back on my life and I think about some of those people, and I haven't talked with Belle Kaplan in over 20 years, but last year her son Scott showed up in Huntsville because of where he works and we actually reconnected and it was pretty funny because he's, he's actually my oldest living friend because he was one of the first people I met as we moved to Miami. And then, like I said, through all the stuff that went on, it was my family, and I love my family, but I always say we put the fun in dysfunction. His, his mom taught me a lot of things. His dad taught me to drive on their nursery. They had a nursery, and he taught me to drive a truck and all kinds of cool stuff. So Christian women, what I want you to know is just like Rosabelle or Teresa or Sue or Belle Kaplan or Rufus's mother, You can leave a lasting legacy, even if you don't have kids of your own. You can leave a lasting legacy, not just for your children who are sitting beside you today, but for their friends that they're going to drag into your house dirty and smelly and probably with frogs in their pockets if they're boys, and they're going to steal your lipstick if they're girls. And you can still leave a legacy, not just for your children, but for their friends. You can leave a legacy like Rufus's mother for everyone that you come in contact with. Maybe for you, it is to adopt. I love one of the, the little kids in that drawing when he said, what do you love or what's different about you and your mom? And he said, I'm brown and she is tan. I love that. You don't have to look the same to love somebody, to experience a mother's joy. Maybe for you, maybe you're like Wendy from Peter Pan and you're just going to like love on all the lost boys and girls that come into your life. I don't know. But don't let our society's view of who you should be as a woman, a wife, or a mother limit you to who you can be and how you can experience a mother's joy 
through the people that God is going to bring in and out of your life. Charles Spurgeon said, Oh, mother, mother, if you had not been the woman you were, I would not have been the man that I am. Hold on one second. got to give them the signal. Okay. Oh, I forgot you were over there. There we go. All right, I had to give the signal. Charles Spurgeon said, Mother, mother, if you had not been the woman... <laughs> I love it. They're ready. If you had not been the woman you were, I would not have been the man that I am. Remember this. Even the most sturdy, self-reliant, and ruggedly resourceful person still needs occasional mothering. In this gracious tribute, Paul pays the mother of Rufus the highest compliment. Although she's nameless, she played a mother's part to Paul in hours of his need, and her, her name, along with her kindness, stands recorded even now. As we come to our response time this morning, I pray that today, in revealing a mother's joy, that we will see how the humblest of duties can be transformed into services that will change the course of someone's life. Children are not encumbrances, but they are lives in the making, and they will carry memories of your love and how you cared for them and your home throughout their lives. Paul remembered an atmosphere of heaven, if you will, in Rufus's home, and he wrote of this sweet fellowship over 30 years later. I have one last story I want to tell you. It's written by Jim Cole Roche, and his, the book is called God's Honoring Mentions. He tells the story of a little girl named Anne. Anne grew up in a proper house, but Anne was embarrassed because every time that her mother would serve tea, she was embarrassed of her mother's hands. Her mother's hands weren't pretty and dainty like the hands of her friend's mother's. They were, they were brown and scarred and, well, they were ugly. The story goes that Anne felt very uncomfortable and, and she would look at her mother's hands and secretly she was disgusted by the, just the ugliness of her mom's hands. One day her mother noticed as she was pouring tea, Anne and her friends and their moms were there and, and how little Anne was just looking at her mom's hands and she just saw this thing on her, this look on her daughter's face and she decided it was time to tell her the story of what had happened. And so that afternoon, she sat Anne down and she said, Sweetie, when you were just a baby, there was a fire. And our home was burning down. There was a lot of confusion, a lot of panic. She said, but everybody got outside and we realized that you were still inside, in your crib. She said, so I rushed in. I went through the flames to find you. I picked you up. Your crib was on fire. I picked you up out of the flames with my bare hands and I rushed outside. She said, I was able to protect you, but my hands and my arms were burned from the fire. These hands were used to save your life. Little Anne breaks down in tears and she starts to cry. She says, Mother, you burned your hands to save me. I didn't know. She says, I love you. She says, those are the most beautiful hands I've ever seen. It's funny how our perspective changes when we know the whole story. You take God, for instance. Many people look at Him as though His hands are rough with judgment and callous towards sin, but... It's because we forget those same hands were marred for you and I on the cross. Jesus died for you and me. Sometimes we treat Him like Anne treated her mother. All He asks for us is to live for Him. You can do that as a child, as a mother, as a father, no matter who you are. If you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, if you are baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, it becomes your privilege to live for Jesus Christ. And as you live your life for, to be a reflection of Him, who knows whose life you may touch. Just one 
One life may turn out to be a world leader. We don't know. This day is a good time for you to commit yourself to be all that you can be for Jesus. Will you stand and sing our response song with us and respond accordingly? Thank you, Mike. It's been great to be here to celebrate and worship with you all today, but now it's time for us to go. As you go this morning, I want to encourage you, having learned the secret of joy and and getting a glimpse of what a mother's joy can be, I want to challenge you all, men and women alike, as you go this week, honor your opportunities that we have to be a reflection of Christ. Accept the responsibilities and radiate the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives, no matter where we go or who we talk to. Will you sing this last song with us?